Amen. Oh, Ooh. I got those holy chills. That was good. Thank you all for leading us, and thank you all for participating. Hey, speaking of worship, Nicole always has special stuff for us each Sunday and Wednesday. Come back Sunday, she's got a new song she's going to be introducing. We've enjoyed learning So Will I. Well, we've got a new one to start our series in Joshua on Sunday morning. So we hope you'll be a part of that. Genesis chapter 11 tonight. As we said last week, Genesis 10 and 11 are really introductory chapters to Abraham, or as he's called at the very beginning of the story, Abram. One of the most towering figures in the Bible. And God is setting us up. God wants to show us the world, if you will, that Abram come out of. Because what it highlights, what chapter 11 is going to highlight tonight throughout our looking at this chapter a little bit, is that God is a God of grace. If you take nothing else out of tonight, take that home with you. God is a God of grace, and his grace is operating at all times in our life, every moment, and, and his grace was operating throughout all that we're going to look at tonight. It's always his grace that sustains us. It is, as Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and we could all say that. It's only by his grace. His grace triumphs over everything. His grace is sufficient. So tonight, this chapter can be easily divided into three sections. In the first nine verses, it talks about this story of the Tower of Babel and how does that fit into leading into Abram. Then we have from verse 10 through verse 26, sort of Shem's genealogical tree. And then verses 27 through 32 really get into the nuts and bolts of Abram's family, especially his father and his wife and all of that, setting us up again for the introduction of Abram and the call of Abram in chapter 12 next week. First, let's look at the first nine verses of Genesis 11. And what we see in these nine verses is the spirit of the world man's rebellion against God. And let's not forget that this happened very soon after the flood. So we can say, man doesn't learn lessons very well, that man's heart is bent towards being independent of God and not listening to God. In fact, we're going to come back to that. That's an important thing for us. Are we listening to the voice of God? And then are we following his voice as we hear it? Notice in chapter 11, verse 1, the whole earth had a common language and a common vocabulary. Literally in the Hebrew, they had one lip and one words. That's literally what it means in the Hebrew language. When the people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar. We talked about that a little bit last week. That was where Nimrod had ruled, and they settled there. That's important. 
because it means they sat down there and they remained there. Well, we know from earlier that's not what man was supposed to do, right? God said, go and not only multiply, but fill the earth. Don't sit down. Keep moving. Keep going. I want the uttermost parts of the earth to be inhabited. I want people scattered everywhere around the globe, not just huddled in one place. Well, as they came together and remained there, they said to one another, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick instead of stone and tar instead of mortar. Why is Moses pointing this out? Because Moses knows very well about brick making in Egypt. And he knows that bricks are an inferior material to stone, which is why he points it out. He's saying these people were doomed from the very get-go because they were using inferior materials and they were only going to get so far. Again, don't forget, Moses wrote the first five books of this looking back from their release of Egypt. He very well understood all about building projects. He had built things for Pharaoh. He understood the plight of his own people in building things for Pharaoh. So what he says has great insight. You and I are taught in the New Testament to make sure that when we build things in our life that we are using good materials, the best materials that we can, materials that will stand up, if you will, on the foundation of Jesus Christ. They said, verse 4, Come, let's build ourselves, not God, a city. A monument, a tower, with its top into the heavens. In other words, really one of those high skyscrapers like we have around today. So that we may make a name for ourselves. Mark that. Remember all the way back when people started having children and ancestry and all that? There were two lines that sort of went one direction and one went another. There was a line that made a name for themselves, and there was a line that made God's name great, that magnified the name of God, and that is still the case. Here you have this large group of people who have basically rebelled against the command of God. They have sat down, and their desire is not to glorify God and worship him. Their desire is to glorify themselves. Now, keep your eyes on Genesis 11:4, and just for a moment, go over to Genesis 12:2, and notice what God promises Abram. I will make your name great. <laughs> when we live to glorify the Lord, the Lord will promote his people who do it. We won't need to promote ourselves as the world thinks they have to. God will promote those who magnify him. By the way, when you go back then to chapter 11, one of the lessons we can take out of the story of the Tower of Babel is that self-glorification is always self-defeating. Always. Because God says throughout his word, I will have no one before me. I will have no gods before me. Anytime man tries to glorify himself, it always ends badly. 
Always. God always humbles the proud eventually. It may take months or years, but God will always bring down the proud. So back to chapter 11, verse 4. Notice, they even say, after saying, we want to make a name for ourselves, otherwise we will be dispersed or scattered across the face of the entire earth. In other words, if we don't do this, then we're going to follow what God wants. And so in direct opposition and rebellion to God, they did exactly the opposite of what God said. They heard the voice of God. They had been given the revelation of God just like everybody had. They chose not to follow. They chose not to listen to the voice of God. That's the spirit of the world. Soon after Noah. And let me remind you, Leading into the story of Abram, that's the spirit of the world that Abram came out of. That's why you see this is a God of grace. He did not choose Abram or anyone else based upon their own merit or because they deserved it. He chose them out of his grace. And you and I need to remember that every day. That all that we are and all that we have is not because we deserved it or earned it. All that we have and all that we will have throughout eternity and all that we are is simply based on God's grace. Because he wanted to, not because he had to. You see. Wow. That's a God that should be and needs to be worshipped. <laughs> Because if we got, any of us as human beings, what we deserved, we would all spend eternity without God. But God, in his grace, in his mercy, out of his great love for us, sent his son to this earth to die in our place. For by grace, we are saved through faith. Amen for the grace of God. The grace of God. It's not out of some great spiritual revival that God is going to move. No, it's out of a spirit of the world that, that is rebelling against him and, and committing idolatry and, and all of this. And so notice the first three words of verse 5. But the Lord, <laughs> there it is. Here's what man is doing, and God is giving man free will, free choice, this is how you and I can reconcile the free will of man with the sovereignty of God. God is giving them free will and free choice to a point. But then he responds. He intervenes. He steps in just as he does throughout history. See, God will only allow man to sort of go so far, and then God steps in. And God says, no further. No further. God does the same thing today, sometimes in dramatic ways, sometimes in very subtle ways. And you and I may look at the way the world is today and go, God isn't restraining anything. Oh, yes, he is. Yeah, the Bible says so. He's restraining and holding back evil from being worse than what it is now. In fact, the Bible even goes on so far to say that when the rapture happens, that the presence of the church being taken out of the world then will remove that restraining power as well, and then the world's really going to get bad. 
you and I, we won't even see that at all, you see. So the next time you and I think of how bad it is, remember something. If it weren't for God's restraining influence and putting some kind of restraint on man and the evil that man wants to do, it would be a lot worse than what it is. But the Lord. So the Lord, notice, came down to see the city and the tower that the people had started building. Again, coming from the highest heights, because he's the most high God who rules over the universe that he created. And the Lord said, if as one people, all sharing a common language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be beyond them or inaccessible. When they join their forces, man, they can do a lot of harm and do it quickly. So God says, come, let's go down. Notice this conversation, very interesting, isn't it? It's taking place within the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And through God revealing this to Moses, Moses is letting us in on a conversation that the Godhead had as they inspected the Tower of Babel. Pretty cool. Come, let's go down and confound their language so they won't be able to understand each other and therefore the building will have to cease. Now listen, God did not do this. He did not intervene here at this point in the world because he felt threatened by human beings. God doesn't feel threatened by us at all. God did this because it was an act of grace. He is seeking to prevent them from doing further spiritual damage to themselves and to others by continuing to be together and go down this very dark path. By separating them, it's actually an act of his grace to try to get them away from each other to cause this project that's going to end very badly and, go and going to cause spiritual destruction to many lives from happening. God's grace is what does this. By the way, this also shows because he is the Lord of hosts and he has all things in his universe at his disposal that he can use in order to have his will and his plan and his purposes accomplished, God chose to just confound their language. God can use the smallest little insect to the mightiest creatures and things in his universe that he can use, and he can even use things like language barrier now to bring about his will. God can use anything that he wants to use. That's what makes him so glorious. He doesn't, he's not limited at all by anything that he wants to do or use to accomplish his purposes. So he confounds their language. And then verse 8 says, so the Lord scattered them from there across the face of the entire earth. You're not going to go willingly? All right. I'm going to make it hard for you to understand each other so that then you have to just start spreading out and start combining yourselves by who you can understand. And your language then will be what draws you to each other and then spread you out throughout the entire earth. And notice verse 8, very important, and they stopped building the city. God caused it to stop. God said, enough. 
Again, not because he felt intimidated or threatened by any human beings or human ever. Listen, the advancement of, you know, humanity is a good thing in God's eyes as long as it's used for righteousness and for his glory. But when he begins to see man using advances in, in culture and anything else to, to just sin more and cause more spiritual devastation and destruction, God will only let that go so far and then he will put a stop to it in some way. This is why its name, verse 9, was called Babel, confusion, because there the Lord confused the language of the entire world and from there the Lord scattered, dispersed, spread them out across the face of the entire earth. So that's the first part, showing us again the spirit of the world, and yet in that, man's rebellion, the response of God, God would intervene. And that's the way it always works. You and I see that today. God speaks, man either obeys or doesn't. God will let those who are disobeying go so far, and then God steps in and God intervenes. That's always the response of God. God is not the God of the deists that believe that God did create the world, but then just stepped back like a clock and just let it run. No, God is very much involved in his creation every single day, every aspect of it, every detail of it. We saw that in our study of the book of Job a couple weeks ago. Now we come to the genealogy of Shem. Why does God pick out the line of Shem because that's the line that will eventually lead to Abram. And he does it for a couple of reasons. One, this is a reminder of, by Moses of the faithfulness of God to the prophecy through Noah in Genesis 9, 26. Noah prophesied that the blessing of God would come through the line of Shem. And now Moses is saying, and God was faithful to that prophecy that he gave to Noah. Here again, in his grace, God is being faithful to his word, to his promises, and to his prophecy. I'm not going to take the time to obviously read the genealogy of Shem all the way through verse 26, but you'll see there it ends in verse 26 with Terah, who becomes the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. We'll come back to that in just a moment. A couple other things, though, in this account. You'll notice if you go down through reading this that the lifespan now begins to decrease through every generation. By the time you get to, you know, Terah, who was the father of Abraham, he only lived only 205 years. Abram will only live into his hundreds. By the time you get to Joseph, Joseph only lives to be 110. It just keeps decreasing to the point where, like Moses said in Psalm 90, a psalm we're going to be looking at in several weeks, that really the lifespan is now 70 or 80 years of age, and if perhaps you live longer than that, the blessing of God on you. But the lifespan goes way down at this point. Another thing that we learn here again, and I brought this up last week, is that we are all links in a very long chain. 
There are those who came before us and there will be those who come after us, but we are simply part of something much bigger than ourselves. We could do nothing about the spiritual foundation or legacy that came before us, but we cer certainly have the choice to start one with us and then pass it on to those who come after us or to continue that spiritual legacy that we have been handed from those who came before us. And that's what you have here. Everyone in the line of Shem was not godly. And no one in the line deserved or merited the blessings and favor that God poured out on them. Again, it was all of grace. And what we see here in this line even is that grace triumphs even in the presence of idolatry and the spiritual condition of the world at this time. It was not like a great spiritual awakening that was happening around the world. It was primarily a dark spiritual time. So go over to verse 27. This then begins the account of Terah, who is the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And basically then what you're given here at the end of chapter 11 is sort of the cast of characters. You know, you go to a play, you have a program, you sit there, one of the things in the program is, here's the cast of characters that you're going to be, you know, seeing over the story, right? So we're introduced to all these people. We're introduced to Abram's brothers, Nahor and Haran. We're introduced to his nephew, Lot. We're introduced to his wife, Sarai. And something very important about Sarai is given here that will come into play later on in the story. And that is in verse 30, that she could not have children. See, God is foreshadowing something here to us. But I want you now to turn with me to the book of Joshua, chapter 24. Keep your finger in Genesis 11 and go over to the book of Joshua, chapter 24, verses 2 and 3. I want you to see what Joshua told the people about some of the players here that we're reading about in Genesis 11 because there's something important that we need to mention. Joshua told the people, Joshua 24, verse 2, here is what the Lord God of Israel says. In the distant past, your ancestors lived beyond the Euphrates River, including Terah, the father of Abram or Abraham and Nahor. And notice this, they worshiped other gods. Abram came from a family of idolaters. God did not choose Abram because he was this spiritual giant. Okay? Then in verse 3, But I took your father Abraham from beyond the Euphrates and brought him into the entire land of Canaan. I made his descendants numerous. I gave him Isaac. Okay? Now, if you want to keep your finger there, but I want to go back to Genesis 11. So as you look now, beginning at verse 27, this last part of Genesis 11, a couple things we need to say here at this point. One, this is a reminder based upon what we just heard about the background of Terah 
and Abram's family that God does not need optimal conditions to do a great work. God does not need optimal conditions to do a great work. God doesn't need a lot to start with in order to make something great. God chose Abram out of grace and was going to make Abram the father of a great nation and a blessing to the world. And God did that by pulling him out of idolatry. Why? Because God, and you even see this in the line of Shem in verse 10 through verse 26 of Genesis 11. God is simply looking at all times down through history for those who will listen to his voice, listen for his voice, and follow his voice. Obviously, those people who built the tower at Babel did not. But there were those down through history, and especially in the line of Shem, that would eventually be the line of Abram, eventually the line of Christ, that would listen for, listen to, and follow the voice of God. Because as we're going to see next week, starting with Abram, why did Abram move? Because he received a call from God. It wasn't that he just moved on his own. He heard the voice of God. God spoke to Abram while he was still an idolater and while he was still living in Mesopotamia. God doesn't need a lot to work with. That's why we can be encouraged. We say it to ourselves as leaders many times around here. I'm just giving God my five loaves and two fish and hope he multiplies it. But you know what? There's, there's a truth there. Sometimes we just give God the little that we have and trust that he will multiply it and use it because God doesn't need a lot to do a great work. I mean, let's face it. Not that I'm disparaging them, because I'm going to see them one day, and they're going to meet me, and they're going to maybe say something to me about me, you know. But those 12 guys that Jesus chose to be his disciples, you know, they weren't originally spiritual giants, right? God made them into that and trained them to be that, and it took a long time. In fact, it really took the resurrection to finally Put him over the top. So God doesn't need great situations. To work. God will come down in the middle of anything and can do a great work if we simply will listen for him, listen to him, and follow his voice. And then the other thing I want you to see is when Joshua was talking, remember he said they were way out there and God brought him way in here. That's something that you and I need to get used to hearing through our study and story of Abram. It is a story that reflects the heart of God. God's heart is always, I want to bring those who are far near. I want to bring those who are outside, inside. And God is still all about that today. For even his own people, God is like, you're, you're too far. 
Come on, I, I want you to draw closer. I want to bring you closer to me. That is always the heart of God. That's part of why, again, worship needs to be so significant and such a priority in our life. It, it reminds us that as we worship him, how close God wants to be and how connected God wants to be to his people, to enter his very presence through worship and to just spend time, as we sang about tonight, just at his feet, just because he is, you see. That, so even tonight, no matter how far you are that you feel, know this, God wants to just draw you closer to him. And because of grace, we can always come there. We can always come closer. And if you feel outside, God says, you always have a place with me. See, part of the problem today is there are many people in this world that, that they don't feel like they belong, that they don't have a place, that they don't fit in anywhere. And God is saying to all people, you fit in with me, that by grace, no matter how you know, unfit you feel, you're one of the misfit toys in the Christmas cartoon, you're on the island, the misfit. You don't feel like you fit in or belong anywhere or with anyone. God says, no, no, no. You fit with me. You belong with me. I want to bring you in. Those of you that feel outside. That's the story of Abraham. And then in closing tonight, look at this. Verse 31. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and with them he set out for Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. Isn't it interesting that the genesis of the line of Terah begins with an exodus, just as God's purposes with the nation begins with an exodus? And I'm sure that, like, struck Moses, that Moses, writing this again after the exodus from Egypt, goes, you know what? God was always starting with an exodus, getting his people to move. Oh, we're going to talk about that Sunday. But here's how I want you to apply that. That doesn't mean that God is always looking for us to move physically. It simply means that God is looking for people to be moved, to be moved emotionally, to be moved spiritually, to be pliable if you will, in his hands. That's why there's that great story in the prophet Ezekiel about the potter and the clay and that the potter symbolizes God and the clay symbolizes our lives and, and, and the, how the potter desires the clay to be moldable and pliable in his hands, to be able to be moved and shaped. God is always looking for that. God always wants his people to be responsive to be willing to be moved. And that's the story of Abram as well. Abram moved as he responded to the call of God. But notice this. Isn't it interesting that it was Terah, his father, who actually initiated the move? Now, there's a lot of unanswered questions. Does that mean that God appeared to Terah too and sort of made some kind of call on Abram's father, Terah, to get him to move? Or 
did God just appear to Abram? And Abram says, Dad, God's calling me to, to you know, move. And so Terah thought, well, I'll move with you. I, we don't know all the particulars or dynamics, but what we do know, at least initially, is that it wasn't just Abram that moved. It was Abram and some of his family. Not all of his family, because he came from a big family, but some of his family started moving. His father, his brother, his nephew, and obviously his wife. But here's what I want you to see in closing. Notice it in verse 31. The goal was, even for Terah, the goal was what? To go from Ur to Canaan. Don't miss that. That's important. That's the goal. That's what they set out to do, right? But when they came to Haran, somewhere between Ur and Canaan, notice what they did. They did what? They settled. They did the same thing the people of the Tower of Babel did. They sat down. They stopped moving. Again, God may not necessarily be asking us to always be physically on the move, but God always wants us to be willing to be moved by him in some way. So notice the end of chapter 11. The lifetime of Terah was 205 years, and don't miss this, he died not in Canaan. He died where? In Haran. He never made it to Canaan because he stopped short of Canaan. Don't stop short of Canaan. Abram now has to pick up and keep on moving. And it reminds us then of the perseverance that is necessary in following the call of God. There is a perseverance of faith, how we've got to keep going. There's so many uh, uh, ways we could apply this, and I don't want to keep going because I could keep going, but I'll say this. So many times even in Christians' lives, there's the goal, there's the dream, there's the thing God has laid out for them, and they hear the voice of God calling them to that, and they start out just like Tara did. There's where God wants me to go, and somewhere along the pathway, they sit down. Maybe it's because they get discouraged or what, all kinds of factors, but somewhere along the line, they stop. They stop from continuing on and they settle there and they sit down there and they never get to Canaan. And God is saying to me as the pastor of this church, Jeff, don't die in Haran. Keep the church moving towards Canaan. And I want you to get that message from God today as well because God has a call upon your life and a will and a plan and purpose for your life. And he doesn't want you to stop short of it. He wants you to continue on after all of it and to grab all that God has for you in this life. Don't stop in Haran. Don't sit down halfway between where God took you and where God wants to take you. That's what so many do. And they stop short of all that God wants them to have and experience in this life. Keep on going and persevere in the faith. Let's pray. God, we thank you tonight that you and your grace have been magnified in the lives of the people that we've been introduced to here tonight.
It's not, Lord, because they were some spiritual giant. No, most of them were idolaters that you called and, and, and spoke directly to and said, I've got something better for you than a life of idolatry. And they followed. And God, you are still that God of grace that is calling upon people today to do the same thing, to leave their life of idolatry behind and to follow and worship the one true God. And then, God, for your own people who begin to hear your voice and follow you down that path, God, there's always a temptation and there's always, Lord, that, that test of our faith where we can stop short of all that you have for us, God. May we not do that. May we not settle or die in Haran. May we follow you all the way into our Canaan, Lord, that you have for us, both as a church and as individual Christians. God, thank you for these wonderful passages out of the Old Testament. And Lord, we look forward to now next week diving into the life of Abram and, and learning so much from his life and his walk with you as well. Thank you, God, for this time together tonight, for the great worship that we had tonight, God. And I pray that our worship of you would continue throughout the evening and into the next day tomorrow, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. See you next week.